Hello and welcome. I'm Hannah Palamara, and this is My Vulnerable Voice, a podcast and visual project sharing stories of rawness, courage, and love. We all go through difficult and sometimes life-changing experiences, and what I have learned is that by sharing these stories, we can not only bring healing to ourselves, but to other people. Thank you so much for being here. In this episode, it's my turn to get vulnerable. I recorded this with Techie Quay for the Born Together podcast recently, and it seems like a great way of sharing some of my story on the My Vulnerable Voice podcast. I talk in detail about each of my three birth stories, how they have shaped me along the way and influenced my life, how I got my healing birth after two cesareans, and the huge struggles I've faced going through my husband's cancer journey and then losing him just six months later. It's an emotional one. Hi, Techie. Hi, Hannah. Well, thanks, Hannah, for being here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Um, do you, shall we start with you introducing yourself and telling us a bit about your family? Yeah, of course. So my name is Hannah Palamara. Um, I am a mother of three children. I'm a birth photographer and a doula, and I'm based just outside London. And how about, shall we go back a little bit and talk about what your life was like before becoming a mum of three? Yeah, sure. So I was a bit of a wild child <laughs> growing up. And um, <laughs> I was a bit of a party girl. And I think becoming a mother for the first time, I had my first um, child when I was 22, was a real kind of a big, you know, changing point in my life. And it was kind of like a, a wake up call um, for me as well to kind of you know, look at my direction and where I wanted to go and what I was, what I was serious about. And it's, and actually it's taken a lot longer than that to figure that out. And I think I'm still figuring it out, but I did a lot of different jobs before, um, before I had my first child, I did a lot of waitressing. I did some modeling. I wanted to be an actress and then realized I had a massive fear of public speaking, <laughs> which kind of doesn't work. <laughs> and yeah, I then, I fell pregnant with my first child when I was 21 and I was, you know, um, it wasn't a planned pregnancy and I ended up being a, a single parent, um, to my daughter. That was a really, a really big changing point in my life. It was something I was not prepared for and, at the same time, I would, I think I would almost say that it saved me because, um, I have a history, um, of addiction and I was very much, I think, going down quite a dangerous road before I had my first child. And, you know, becoming a mother was definitely the wake up call that I needed to start, you know, looking at my behavior and my, my drinking at the time as well. And how did you find out you were pregnant? And um, was it something you sort of felt different or you suspected? Mm. I think I felt different. I'm very, I'm a very sensitive person. And even back then, I feel like I was quite in tune with my body. I, I mean, I had a lot of symptoms and I just felt, yeah, it definitely felt different. And I think I, I think I did a, I did a test before I was even due on my period, I think. Yeah. Wow. So it would have been a nice long pregnancy then if you found out pretty early. It was very long. Yeah, it was. It was a long pregnancy and I was, um, I had terrible morning sickness. It was a difficult pregnancy, actually. It was very difficult, I have to say, because the guy that I was with, we, you know, we'd just been seeing each other a couple of months. And so, 
you know, going from that to, wow, I'm having a baby. And I definitely felt like I really wanted to have this baby. I was, uh, it, it just felt very important to me. And so a lot of the pregnancy was actually spent having a difficult time with him and figuring out our relationship together and whether we were going to stay together. And then also, you know, the realization of 21 years old, no real career, no real stability and bringing another, you know, person into the world. And the realization of that made it, I would say it was a pretty traumatic pregnancy in that sense, mixed with feelings of I'd always wanted to have a baby. And I knew that I knew that she was a girl. And so mixed with kind of feeling this nurturing feeling towards this little girl and being in quite a difficult situation. I know for me, like the moment I found out I was going to be a mum with those lines on a pregnancy test, it was that was when motherhood began. It took Mm -hmm. me by surprise how strong it was. So I can only imagine Mm -hmm. back then all these overwhelming things, but you're so sure on that thing, like I'm going to Mm -hmm. be your mother. How was the birth then for your first daughter? Um, So it's, I planned to have... I didn't um, have a huge amount of knowledge of, of, of childbirth. This was back in 2006. And I planned to have an intervention-free birth. I wanted, I knew that I wanted to use the water. I knew that I didn't want to have an epidural. And I had my mother and a friend with me. I ha- went into labour on Mother's Day, which was really nice, <laughs> um, yeah. at 39 weeks. And it came completely out of the blue. I didn't have any other signs beforehand. I just woke up with, you know, some really bad kind of period pains. And then that kind of progressed into... Uh, contractions. And, um, yeah, I labored for two and a half days before I went into hospital for the, f- I went in once and they sent me home and then I went in again. And then when I went in the second time, um, on a Tuesday afternoon, I was four centimeters and I just sort of had a meltdown when I arrived because the labor at that point was feeling quite strong. I it was obviously exhausted having been in labor for more than two days. <clears throat> I did manage to get asleep. And so that birth was, it progressed, um, the labor progressed really beautifully and, and normally actually. Um, and I got to sort of seven centimeters and I was using the water and I was using gas and air and it just felt very manageable. And then they just sort of started talking about my bulging bag of waters as though it was something that needed to be dealt with. Then they suggested that they would break my waters and I not having any knowledge, you know, about interventions above was agreed to them breaking my waters, which actually there was absolutely no reason to do so. Um, I, you know, I had been laboring very beautifully as, you know, everything should, should have been going, was going the way it should have been. I agreed because I thought that's just what you do. And then as soon as they broke my waters, it definitely, intensified things massively and I did I um I did go very quickly to sort of nine centimeters from there and then into tra- what I realized now was transition and I started to get quite sort of wild <laughs> and, scree- <laughs> and I was I was screaming and I felt out, I actually I felt completely out of control because from having my waters broken it speeded things up so much that I felt you know out of control and at that point um uh, Elphine's heart rate went down. It kept going down and it, it went into a bradycardia where the heart rate stays down. Um, and I ended up, um, going in for a, a crash cesarean under general anesthetic. So that in itself was, um, it was very, very traumatic. And, you know, it took me a long, long time, years to recover from, from that birth. And obviously, and that also kind of set, set a precedent for me about how I felt about my body and how I felt as a mother from day one of becoming a mother, because I felt like my body had failed me. 
And I was told that I, you know, I shouldn't attempt vaginal birth because I just had my hips were too small. And, you know, I was made to feel like, you know, they'd saved me and saved my baby because both one or both of us would have died. That was the, the belief that I had for many years um, after that birth, which, you know, wasn't necessarily the truth. And I think at that age, well, at any age, if the doctors are telling you this is what we're going to do, you said you didn't know a lot about birth, you go along with it. And it's probably not mm. until subsequent years go by and you've had other births to look back and just think it could have been different. Definitely. Um, I mean, it just, it was really, really difficult to process. And it definitely impacted how I mothered my daughter it impacted, you know, the depression that I suffered with. And I had absolutely zero support following that birth. It made the transition into motherhood that much harder, having experienced that and then also having a very clouded view of how it had happened and why it had happened and, you know, what that meant for me in the future as well. And I guess it was probably compounded as well. You said even just in your pregnancy, it was difficult trying to navigate with the father of your baby, how that was all going to play out. It probably Mm, wasn't mm -hmm. another layer you needed in terms of bonding with your baby and jumping into motherhood. Mm, Definitely. Yes. Yeah. I had a very mixed bonding. So um, I had, I breastfed and I didn't, I had some, you know, what I would say is probably the usual kind of latching, some latching issues and a lot of really fast letdown. But I, I went, breastfeeding went really well for me, which was great. And actually one of the things that was incredible was when I woke up from my general anaesthetic, I woke up to my daughter on my breastfeeding. Um, My mum, my mum, who's a nurse, had put her on my breast because she was screaming (laughs) to be fed. And that, I think that actually was one of the things that kind of saved me and my bonding with my daughter was that experience and me remembering that, you know, have, I, the memory that I have of that, which still kind of chokes me up is, is amazing, you know, after that horrendous experience that I had. I guess separate from your birth, it was a positive year for the two of you, your first few years of motherhood. Yeah, it was, there was, um, a lot of that. It was positive. I, um, I was living in Brighton at the time. We sort of, you know, I sort of made my own, a group of, um, some mummy friends and it was a beautiful summer the year that she was born. I remember, you know, we'd go down to Brighton Beach and hang out and I had a little flat and, um, yeah, there was a lot of happy times. It was also very, very hard. I found it really challenging being a single parent and my daughter was a very fussy baby. I found out a few years later that she was very intolerant to cow's milk and she had reflux and all kinds of stuff. And so she was a fussy baby. So it was challenging because it was just me you know, doing everything. And any single parent, you know, knows is, especially with a newborn, it can be really challenging. So I definitely found it amazing. And she's, you know, was such a gorgeous baby. But also on the flip side, there was some really dark times where it was just so hard. And I was so tired, you know, so exhausted from the sleep deprivation. And there was nobody taking her to give me a lion. And there was nobody, you know, that I could say, oh, you know, this is really hard, isn't it? But, you know, mm-hmm. because I I was very much doing it by myself. I think just so much respect for the women or men who do it mm-hmm. by themselves, because I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. And I've had a very easy baby and I wasn't even, I didn't have an emergency C-section, which I imagine the recovery for that in itself I mean that's huge. Mm, yeah, it was it was it was definitely very different to um, recovery after a vaginal birth. Yeah. 
Very different. And then how did it come about that you fell pregnant with your second and third um, babies? Yeah, so I met my, so then I met my husband, uh, Frank, when um, Elphine was nine months old. And um, we met um, online and uh, fell madly in love. And we then uh, went on to um, get pregnant with um, our second baby um, when Elphine was, how old was Elf? Almost four. And yes, I was, it was very, very different experience, you know, to plan um, having a baby and be pregnant with a partner. And, um, I had the most happy pregnancy with Cecilia. Um, it was, it was really lovely. And just the feeling of having a, having a partner and being supported was such a different experience. And I planned, um, from the beginning, I wanted to have a VBAC. That's a vaginal birth after cesarean, uh, with CC. And so I did, um, a huge amount of preparation to have my VBAC. Um, but, Looking back, it was definitely a lot of external preparation. So I did um, something called the gentle birth method. I did a ton of yoga and body preparation, an amazing diet and some hypnotherapy. Um, but I didn't really delve into the trauma of my first birth. Um, and I didn't really go in and do a lot a lot or any healing um, on the trauma of my first birth. And so I think... Going into my second birth, which um, was a planned VBAC at um, Chelsea and Westminster Hospital, I was not prepared in the sense that all that kind of trauma kind of came back, I think, when I went into labour with CC. Mm -hmm. And with CC, I went to 41 plus two weeks. And I also was recommended by the VBAC team to start having sweeps from like 39 weeks, wow. which, you know, with the knowledge that I have now, I would, I would never do that. And so I had about four sweeps and on the final sweep, the midwife, and I was huge. I was absolutely <laughs> huge with CC. <laughs> I was so big because I was so happy and I just spent the whole pregnancy being healthy, but also eating a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was May. It was May and it was really hot. This was 2010. I went in and this mid, the head, the midwife there, the head of the VBAC team, she did, the, tried to do the sweep and she was just like, Oh, you're, you know, your vaginal arch is so narrow and you're, it's so hard to reach. She said, I don't know if you're going to be able to have this baby vaginally. And so I left that at 41 weeks. I left that appointment thinking, you know, what, what, <laughs> what the hell am I, is going on? You know, I already was obviously having disbelief in my body from my last experience and then for a healthcare professional to tell me that it probably wouldn't be possible it massively impacted me and I went home and I had a massive argument with my husband and just was hysterical because you know I'd been trying so hard to instill um, confidence in myself and my body for that birth and then for somebody to say that to me who I had put trust in was really that really kind of affected me massively and so, yeah, when I went into labor with Cease, uh, my waters went probably after all those sweeps. And then I had a very irritated, very intense start to the labor because of all the sweeps probably had irritated things a lot. And so I had contractions every five minutes, then every two minutes immediately and pretty strong. So I called the, the hospital and they said, yeah, come in um, because I was VBAC. And so I went straight in. 
I was like two centimeters and they wanted me to stay because I was a V-back. Then they examined me again and they said, oh, she might be in a bit of a funny position. And at that point, I just thought, oh my gosh, this is so intense. And I just felt all the trauma just come rushing back in. And I had my husband there and he was really, you know, helping, trying to help as much as he could. And I had a doula, but she wasn't there yet. And so I just said, I want an epidural. Um, and they were like, yes, you know, of course you can have an epidural, <laughs> um, because they wanted me to have one. And so I did get an epidural at like three centimeters with cease and then <clears throat> progressed. Things slowed down, obviously, as they do with epidurals. And so I labored for about 18 hours and I got to nine, nine and a half centimeters again. They left me at nine and a half centimeters for four hours and they were like, well, everything's fine, but you're getting tired. Baby's probably getting tired. So we should do a cesarean. And I just felt really defeated. And I didn't know, like I could have turned off my epidural maybe. And if I'd mobilized, I got things moving and got her down and that kind of thing. Um, but I just agreed. Um, and I just felt like my, my power was taken, you know, my power was taken from me. Um, And so when I handed over my birth and, you know, it was not traumatic as in, it was a beautiful morning. It was calm in the operating theater. I had a spinal block, so I was awake. You know, everything like that was all very straightforward, but I felt so removed from it. And, you know, my husband, he told a very different story. Whenever he told the story, it was like he got to see her first and hold her first and it was all calm and it was lovely. But for me, it was a completely different perspective because I felt like I'd gone through that. My body had failed me again and I was just incapable of giving birth to a baby vaginally, which was something for me with my history it actually was really important for me to experience that so it was hard but the recovery was pretty good breastfeeding was great and I had I did I have to say I did have a really happy postnatal period um she was the most gorgeous baby she was really easy and there was a lot of joy there was a huge amount of joy but I kind of took I took that that trauma and kind of upset from that birth too and put it kind of in a box as well and so at the point I guess it's sort of doubled isn't it you've got Alfie's birth and then Cece's I don't know maybe you left feeling a little bit foolish for wanting a v-back everyone's saying your body can't do it and you're like all that work how silly I was to think yeah 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 a hundred percent the doctor came to me in the postnatal ward before I left the hospital with Cece and was like you shouldn't attempt to v-back again you're obviously just have a very small pelvis not possible for you and so that was kind of like a nail in the coffin and I carried that I really carried it because as a woman and a mother and a woman that's experienced a lot of trauma before I even had children it just it just felt like more trauma and you know disbelief in in myself that I really really needed and I did I did actually after I had CC a few a few months after I think I did do some birth art and I did, without even realizing what I was doing, I did a lot of creative kind of healing around it. And I did some drawings and I did do some writing. Um, and I, at that point, I was also seeing this incredible therapist who's like a spiritual therapist who I've been seeing for 12 and a half years. And so I did work through stuff with him as well around that. And so just to take you back to your birth, but I just thought it would have been quite interesting that it was your second birth. Was it Frank's first birth? Yeah. And that must mm-hmm. be interesting as yes, a couple. Definitely. Yeah. And he and Frank was American, so he had I think quite a medicalized view of birth anyway. And so I think that the way that it went with a cesarean for him with Cease was not too difficult. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, we definitely approached it in different with different perspectives. 
yeah, to have that like different steps of fatherhood and motherhood with the same baby. It's yeah, it's interesting. It is, and I I get I think I was probably a lot mm. calmer as a mother with Cecilia, and I felt very supported. You know, I felt supported by by Frank and by the people around me. And she was just one of those dream babies that you didn't think existed. <laughs> and she, you know, she's just really easy, you know, slept and just was a joy, an absolute joy. And that sort of you thought, well, we'll have to have a third one then because she's been such a cute baby and it's been so easy. Um, yes and no. No, I think I went back and forth um, for quite a long time about having a third. I really did. And I, I mean, I have to say a large, not a large part, but a part of, Choosing to have a third was definitely because I wanted to attempt to have a yeah, vaginal birth. I was going to ask if it was um, sort of chasing the birth. Totally. And I think that was because I felt that I needed to have that experience to heal um, a lot of things in me, um, to bring me healing around my previous two births, but also around, you know, life experiences that I've had. It just felt so important to me to see if I could experience that and to experience it as, as a woman. And so really I was very back and forth about having a third. And then it was just kind of the decision was sort of taken from me <laughs> when I, <laughs> when I became I pregnant like when life in does that. 2012. It's amazing. You're like, oh, yeah. this made so much easier. <laughs> and so that pregnancy was, um, was interesting because I, I, I actually spent that pregnancy fighting to have my V back after two cesareans. And so I went on a huge journey during that pregnancy where at the beginning I, said to myself, oh, you'll have to have a cesarean because that's what you've been told. And so then I had this little voice in my head that just kept saying to me, you can do this. You can do this. Look at this research. So I just started researching and I joined a bunch of groups on Facebook and I started looking at statistics. I looked up, you know, all of, all of the statistics and studies and everything I could get my hands on to do a VBAC after more than one cesarean. I read and I researched and I spoke to women and I read stories. And the more research I did, the more I realized that having a third cesarean carried a longer list of risks than attempting a VBAC with my third baby. And so, um, but I actually sat, I went to see, um, I went and saw this kind of famous obstetrician, um, and Yehudi Gordon, and I sat down with him and I wrote down, you know, um, the list of risks for each thing. And, you know, we chatted loads about everything. And he said to me, you've got as much knowledge as a medical student. The, you know, the decision obviously is yours. And he just made his recommendations. I just... So I, I ended up deciding to go for another VBAC and it was definitely a difficult conversation with me and Frank. He was really worried about me attempting another VBAC. He was very fear-based and as a couple going through that pregnancy, it was difficult because I felt like I was fighting for this experience and this birth that I needed to have. And I had a lot of people telling me that I was being selfish and that, you know, I was putting myself and the baby at risk and, you know, that I was crazy. So it was very difficult in that sense. But I just, you know, I kept researching and I spoke to my therapist and I, you know, I just realized that I actually felt like I was doing the right thing. And actually, I was more worried about having a third cesarean and there being complications because of that. So I decided on that. So I started building my own birth plan of wanting, you know, an intervention free birth. And as it transpired, I started to not feel supported by, you know, the NHS and that team because of their restrictions. And I just felt like, you know, this was probably my last birth and I wanted to do it on my terms. And in order to do that, I 
I didn't know if I could do it with NHS midwives. So I went with independent midwives quite late. And from the point that I found my, my midwives, my two independent midwives, Laura and Kemi, everything changed. And I started to feel really confident and really positive about the birth. I mean, I'd been doing a lot of preparation as well, including a lot of work on debriefing trauma, the trauma from both my previous births. I did a huge amount of work on that before my pregnancy and during that pregnancy, delving deep into that so that I could release that trauma before going you into this the third birth. prep you didn't um, get to do with CC. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'd actually been doing it for, you know, a couple of years as well, you know, just b- before I got pregnant with Frankie. And yeah, it just became, it became very positive in the end. Then I did go to 17 days past my guest date. Um, and that in itself became quite tricky because once I was nearing 42 weeks, I started getting a lot of pressure from external sources about being, still being pregnant. And, and I've had two previous cesareans and I'm planning a home birth, you know, so I started getting pressure again and it became really difficult and I felt very helpless because people made me feel like I was being selfish by not just going and having a cesarean. I did have a very fast and very powerful birth with Frankie and um, it was completely life-changing and it was he it was all the healing that I ever could have hoped for and more um, and it completely changed me as as a person as, and as a woman. Amazing. It takes a lot to kind of go deep and really question yourself and and make sure, you know know that you're making the right decision for you and also know that you're making that decision and if things go a certain way then you know that's yeah. on you too and that but that you're prepared to do that and that's part and of that's the journey. And that's a hard thing as well um, with a partner to say this is what I'm willing to mm-hmm, do because mm-hmm. I know in my own relationship I'm probably yeah. in some ways going to go further than my partner would like. <laughs> Definitely, and that was a huge thing and. I think I can't remember when it was, but quite close to my my guest date, Frank turned around to me and he said, "Okay, okay, I I trust you, I support you with what you're doing." And as soon as he did that, it was like a massive relief, you know. He was there because I just felt like I didn't have to fight him anymore. He was there to support me, and it was you know, and that that was a huge relief. And he was amazing. He was an amazing support during the birth. Good that he was able to get on board. Also, was just thinking, yeah, quite brave admitting that this is also for you. I think in a lot of ways these days, when you think of birth and motherhood, it's a lot of surrendering and doing the right thing for your baby. But you're also allowed Mm. to have things that you want to try and reach and achieve through a birth. Thank you. I mean, I think that it's it's such a journey for the mother and the baby and it's not just about the baby obviously it's it's about the baby but the mother is going through the biggest transformation she'll ever go through and how she is during her pregnancy and how she is throughout her birth how she feels how she's treated the choices she have as I experienced and many other women, they have a huge impact on you, your identity, who you become, what kind of mother you are, you know, the choices you make. And so birth as, uh, you know, I, for me, and also, as you know, I became a doula after this. So uh, how the woman experiences pregnancy and birth is, is so, so important. And did you, gift. after finally, third time lucky having your um, vaginal delivery was it the healing you'd thought did you have all of that come rushing in 
Um, I did, but it was very, um, so it was interesting. It was the, the actual birth and the delivery was really incredible, very straightforward. I did have, um, he was, um, asynclitic. So his head was tilted to the side. So I pushed for Ooh. two hours and 20 minutes. And I think had I been in hospital, they would definitely have tried to intervene. And so in the end, it was a change in position and going from on the knees to squatting that brought him down and out. And it was, it was incredible, absolutely incredible. And it did, it a hundred percent brought me the healing. And I did, um, and I've shared about this before. Um, I did scream out, I am a warrior woman when I was laboring with him. And it just came from nowhere. It was like, it was this primal, like, thing that just happened to me, um, which was just, it was incredible. And then after I had him, I did have um, a PPH. I had a postpartum hemorrhage, quite a big one. I had two. Um, and so I did end up, end up transferring in. Um, and then unfortunately I did have quite a difficult postnatal healing period where my, I, my bladder care wasn't managed properly after the birth when I was in hospital. Um, I ended up just staying in for, I think I stayed in for a night. Um, and I was fine after, after the hemorrhage, everything was okay by the time I got to hospital. Um, but I had an issue with my bladder, which could have been, I mean, it could have been where I, you know, I pushed so hard. It could have been where I had some adhesions on my bladder from the previous cesareans. Who knows? But I ended up with a bladder injury after I had Frankie. And because my bladder was then not monitored properly while I was in the hospital, it got overstretched massively. And I ended up having to self-catheterize and oh. retrain my bladder over three months after I had Frankie. Yeah. So I had, I had like these you know, to this incredible birth experience that it was everything I wanted. And then I had a very tricky healing period postnatally. Um, so it was this w a very strange place to sit because I just wanted to tell everybody about my unbelievable birth experience, which it was. But then I felt, I felt almost like I was a fraud because then I had a very, like a bit, a slight, you know, a bit of a traumatic, um, episode where I had my the two hemorrhages at home and then went in and had this very difficult healing. So I didn't want to address the, um, that, the difficult PPH and the bladder, um, injury. Cause I felt like I didn't want to address that because there wasn't allowed to be any trauma mm -hmm. in this amazing yeah, birth. Does that make sense? Separately and just put so one I, in the closet. <laughs> yeah. I had to separate them. So that's what happened. And I think I came back maybe a year later and started addressing it and also just, understanding it's okay that I had this incredibly healing, amazing birth experience. And it's also okay that then I had a really difficult episode and a really difficult healing period. Both those things are okay and they're allowed to be together. And I can still tell people about my amazing birth. And then I can still tell people about that yeah, difficult time as well. Coexist. I have been doing a huge amount of work on myself for a long time. And so I would probably say the last 12 and a half years, bar the last year, um, have been, you know, kind of the happiest of my life in terms of who I am in myself and how I feel as, as yeah, a woman. And as a mum, I guess. Everyone's life changes and their identities shift. But do you feel that being a mum mm -hmm. has been able to create a new space for you to become a bigger version of yourself? I think... That for me, um, becoming, um, becoming a mother and through each of my births has shaped me into the person that I am today. I think it, you know, those two things yeah. are together, if that makes sense. Um, I don't feel like it's a separate thing and that becoming a mother, I can't remember the word that you used. Um, but it's definitely been, you know, the journey of going through each of the pregnancies and births, um, 
has, you know, has created who I am today. And it's, and it's also forced me to, to look at myself and to want to heal things and to, you know, want to heal things so that I'm not going to pass Mm -hmm. those things down to my children. And yeah, definitely, definitely shaped me into the person that I am today and, and Um, who I am. And then it might be a moment talking about shaping you to talk about losing Frank last Mm -hmm. June. Yeah, of course. And, it, you know, it needs to come into the conversation because obviously we've been talking about him. So in December 2018, Frank was diagnosed with um, stage four esophageal cancer. And he was, unfortunately, it was already very, very advanced when he was diagnosed. And looking back, he'd been ill for a really long time. And we just kind of, just kind of missed it. You know, life was just, life was busy with three kids and he was working and and going through things and we just kept thinking he was getting flu-y symptoms and but looking back yeah he'd definitely been ill for a long time and so by the time he was diagnosed he was very very sick and so we then started on this crazy roller coaster as a family of the unknown um and we were originally told that he had a year with treatment to live um and so we he, we made the decision um and he made the decision to have treatment and to have chemotherapy and unfortunately his first rounds of chemotherapy put him in intensive care um he became incredibly unwell um so we nearly lost him then um and then he it just it was like every time we went to an appointment it was worse news and nothing worked you know we tried we, we tried to get on you know natural you know healthy diets and natural treatments and everything kind of alongside it we tried everything but it was just too late and like every step we went it was worse news and so by march we were kind of given the option to try second line chemo but they said you know at this point, it will likely buy you a few more months. And having been through what we'd gone through with him having chemo and how sick it made him and how horrendous he felt, he he struggled for a good six plus weeks to make the decision about not continuing with treatment. Um, it was a very, very difficult decision for him. But in the end, he decided not to continue with any treatment because we would rather have, you know, time together as family. And, but he also was very much in the headspace that we would try everything natural that we possibly could and there might be a miracle. So we, from March, we, we went to Florida where we have been every year for the last 13 years, um, for our last holiday together. And, yeah, he, and then he just went downhill really, really quickly after that. And he did die, um, on his birthday on June 27th, which was his, um, yeah, his, his 45th birthday. And, um, he died at home and it was very, very difficult. Definitely the hardest thing that I've ever done in my whole life, supporting him and supporting my family and trying to support myself through that time. You know, it's, what is it eight months now or nine months later? And, it's still, it's still very raw. It's still really raw. And I feel like, you know, the year, uh, not the year, but the months since he died, I was just, I've just been trying to survive really and trying to, to keep going. And I realized that I've been running a lot, you know, doing, you know, throwing myself back into work, throwing myself into my training, throwing myself into doing, 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 just so that I don't have to sit and feel, um, because it's very, very hard. And I was so worried, you know, that as soon as I started to sit and feel that that would be it, you know, and I would just go to bed and not get up again for a very long time, which, you know, with three children is not really an yeah. option. And I think, um, 
like you said, you had that multiple layers, wasn't it? You had to be there for Frank and for your kids and yourself. It's not just your and Frank relationship. It's your whole family is shifting. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, it's just, I mean, there are no words really about how you carry your children through something like that. Because I had no clue. <laughs> um, you know, I just did, did what I could. And they all, you know, all three of them have dealt with it very differently. But I am so proud of them because I think they're doing really well, con- you know, considering. But the dynamic of, you know, in that six months that he was ill, those, the dynamic of it. And also just have it every time I had to tell them or we had to tell them something was you know they're the conversations that you never ever want to have with your children and I am yeah I was trying to think of words for you and I thought I think in the past that we've used the word strong so much you know and I mean anyone who knows you physically you are so strong I mean you lift these amazing weights but I also thought (laughs) maybe it said like you haven't been able to sort of sit and take it on and the chats we've had recently it's coming into that stillness and I thought Mm -hmm. that strength in being vulnerable and being open to it and I think too Mm -hmm. as a mum you know you have to be a strong mum and you have to be strong for the kids and you said there's no words but I imagine being vulnerable with your kids and for your kids is a whole new level of motherhood to try and understand and navigate. Oh 100% it's been it's been incredibly hard I think from the very beginning, I felt just after he died, this incredible pressure, like, and I couldn't make any decisions. So for the first few weeks after he died, I couldn't make a decision about anything because I, you know, as you know, being married, you make decisions together. And, you know, even if you're making a decision yourself, you often run it by your, your husband or your partner. And so I was completely paralyzed by this immense feeling of I have to make all the decisions myself. And so I had to learn really quickly and I'm still learning how to be responsible myself for all of these things and be responsible for three children. And it's, you know, that's ongoing. It's very much an ongoing thing. And like you mentioned, um, coming into stillness and I was forced in January to stop because I became really, really unwell. And my body finally, de- you know, decided for me that I would stop running and I would have to be forced to rest and I would have to be forced to sit and feel these feelings and the grief and everything that I needed to process. So I had a really, really difficult, um, six weeks. I'd say it was in January where I was, unbelievably depressed and I'm not I don't suffer regularly with depression I have suffered a lot of anxiety especially over the last year as well to the point where I've had a panic attack that put me in the hospital which was again a new thing for me to have such extreme anxiety so I really struggled with um, having to stop and having to feel and having to have acceptance around all of these feelings that I was having but in the end, that's what I had to do. And I just had to sit with it and work, you know, work through it in my own way. But it was a huge relief, you know, a few weeks ago when I woke up for the first time and felt like me again and started to feel I didn't wake up in absolute terror and negativity. I woke up feeling myself. And, you know, of course, I'm still having difficult days and dealing with everything. But I'm really glad that I went through that because 
I think it's really important. Otherwise, it would it's going to come up yeah, somewhere else later on in some yeah, other way. I mean, it's completely different. But with your birth trauma, you sort of, I guess, have some template for understanding how it is going to come up. You mentioned mm-hmm. a little bit that's about right, yeah. you're a mum who has to provide the three kids. I was thinking it's a bit of a bridge back. Was it 2006 when you had Alfie and you were a single mum and you were talking about mm-hmm. trying to support mm-hmm. her? And I imagine you're further along in your career, but that isn't mm. necessarily easier. Yeah, definitely. It's um, It feels like a really big responsibility to it's almost like I've gone full circle and now I'm a single parent again um, in that sense. Luckily, I'm in a better position than I was when I had Elfin, but I also have m- more children and many, many more responsibilities financially and expenses than I did 14 years ago. And so I definitely, I've always had a very, very strong drive with work. And for a long time, that drive was trying to find what, what is it I'm meant to do in this world? And it, it took me until after I had my last child, Frankie, to discover for me it was um, being a birth worker and that element of, of myself. And I put all of that drive into building my birth photography and my doula career, which I've done over the last six years. And so now it's, it's putting, I still have, I have that drive again. And it's even more so now because I'm, you know, financially responsible for these children and for myself. And, and also I don't want to be in a position where we have to struggle financially in the future. I would actually like to be in the opposite position where we don't have to struggle at all. In fact, we are really, really comfortable and we're having, you know, having a very comfortable life and not having financial concerns so that's something that I'm putting a lot of energy into right now I'm hustling I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to my story today and hear my vulnerability it's certainly a different experience putting yourself in that seat and sharing your story and your truths I am really grateful to everybody who's taking part in this project and I'm so excited to keep sharing my story